The following is a hoop ball presentation. Find me on Twitter at Corbin NBA. There's a hoop ball presentation, so check out hoop ball on Twitter at hoop ball tweets online hoop ball.com. We are literally three weeks away from the NBA season. Uh, media week is already underway. Preseason's coming up soon. Fantasy basketball is right around the corner. Hoop ball is where you want to go for that. Definitely get involved in some free leagues. Um, get involved in some leagues for money if that's your thing. Definitely check it out, especially with our resources there. So once more hoop-ball.com on twitter at hoop ball tweets all right round ball ramble what we're still doing right now season previews and right now i'm excited to have on brendan nunes uh you can find him on twitter at brendan nunes nba b-r-e-n-d-e-n-n-u-n-e-s nba uh all about the sacramento kings he, he's all about the sacramento kings so it's gonna work out perfectly uh, he's the host of king's pulse uh he's also a writer at the king's herald so I literally got an expert, so I'm patting myself on the back here. Um, but Brendan, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. You know, I like to think I might be doing better if I was an expert of a better team, but <laughs> I, I enjoy it, you know, for I some weird you. reason. Hey, <laughs> listen, the fandom from Kings fans, and I, I know quite a few, it, it's, 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 it's a loyal special fandom. I mean, it's, I'm weird. I have no, I do have an allegiance, but I feel like I'm a man without a home in the sense that I'm from New York, I live in Arizona, and I'm a lifelong Lakers fan. Wow. So, yeah, I know it's a mess. Um, but so how do I, you know, remedy that? I just talk about the NBA and yep. that way I'm not, I like to any one squad. Plus the way I look at it, I mean, there's a lot of Lakers coverage and I like to be a consumer too. Yeah. Maybe don't go around admitting you're a Lakers fan. Oh yeah. Trust me. I've done, I mean, even right now, as funny as I'm recording with you and I have on a sun shirt, it's oh, a there mess. You go. It's a there mess, but yeah, I've been to some Lakers Suns games as a Lakers fan, and you're right. I mean, this is even before Suns and Four, whatever that was, um, and just yeah, even then it was uh, it was a little tense. So I'm with you. I try to keep that under wraps, but <laughs> um, just going in. I mean, like you said, being a Kings fan, it's a uh, it, it's a job. I don't want to say it's a thankless job. But it is what it is. Uh, you know, it's been a long, it's been a ten. I don't have to belabor the point. We know the Kings. Um, but what I will do is ask you, uh, just last season, especially since it seemed like you at least kind of had a more competitive roster. Kind of what was your own personal season recap of the year that was for the Sacramento Kings? I mean, the main thing that stands out, and I say this painfully as somebody that loves defense, is that they had the worst defensive rating of all time. And the first half of the year specifically was just horrific. Um, a lot of that has to do with giving extended minutes to Buddy Heald and Marvin Bagley, two guys who I think positionally – are some of the worst defenders in the league. And I feel bad that I have to like hone that point so often to people and, and crap all those guys, but they genuinely are bad there. And um, Buddy really tries, but seems to not quite grasp the proper rotations. Um, and I don't even know where to start with Bagley. And it got a little infectious, I think. Like, I think some of the other guys, once you realize that your team is just pretty poor on the defensive end, it's kind of easy to get disengaged. Yeah. And like you saw that from guys, I think you normally wouldn't expect it from like Harrison Barnes, consummate professional, last guy you would expect that from mm-hmm. happened a few games here and there. De'Aaron Fox, it was happening for. Um, and I also think that Luke Walton is a little suspect. Um, and <laughs> some of that has to do with, and I know we'll get into that a little bit later, oh, yeah. but some of that has to do with uh, the defensive end for sure. I felt like they were switching a lot more than maybe they should. And part of me wondered if that was just to simplify the defensive scheme for some of the players that were out there because it adds less complicated rotations, which is where the Kings were breaking down sometimes, but I got pretty tired of seeing Damian Jones guard Damian Lillard or all of a sudden like Rashawn Holmes is a really good switching center. I, I get that, yeah. but the rest of the roster is not built for switching like Halliburton and Fox. If those are your guards aren't exactly guys you want switching. Um, they didn't do a good job scrambling when those guys were switched on to bigger guys. So the main thing that sticks out to me is that the defense was really bad. Um, but I will say like the offense was promising. Fox was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to say his average is 25, seven and four or something around that. Pretty much nailed it. <laughs> he 
and Trey Young were the only two guys last year to average 25 plus and not make the all-star game. Wow. And I would be shocked if, I guess I wouldn't be shocked because it's the Western conference and the Kings have to be good, but Fox will make one at some point in his career. Um, it should be next year. Like I think that he could have made it last year and nobody would have complained. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Fox is phenomenal. And obviously like the standout play from Tyrese Halliburton was really promising. You know, I think he came in with this label of a low ceiling guy yeah. and he's made me question if I should ever put that label on anybody, especially somebody so high IQ as him, because some of like the shot making off the dribble, um, maybe if he can be a all-star in this league, that changes the direction of this franchise. So I think that those were the notable things from last year. A really big jump from Fox. I think, you know, Bagley is still a question mark, um, but Halliburton being better than a lot expected and the defense being pretty horrific. Yeah. I was going to say Halliburton stood out an amazing way. I, I, I mean, I was a big Anthony Edwards fan. Obviously we saw the impact when Mellow Ball had, you know, right for rookie of the year, just on that. But like the way he came in and it made such an impact. And I was kind of low on myself. I was like, eh. You know, I, I know a thing or two about a weird jump shot. I was like, I don't know if you trust it, you know, whatever the case may be. And he came in and immediately, like, lit a spark there. Like, I mean, he played perfectly alongside Fox. Like, I think I went from, like, oh, that's a nice pick to, like, I am all on the Halliburton style. Like, how was that? Like, I guess, as the as someone who watches the team so closely and, you know, did, I know um, that you, the – King's Paul says a lot of like draft one of my favorite couple episodes I've listened to have been like <laughs> and I, I get maybe it's the reason why they're so good but like the draft prospect episodes they're like really more of a deep dive and so you take that type of um you take the type of expectation being that you've already scouted you've already looked at these guys you're trying to see the potential fit you're like okay how's this work and then to have your expectations kind of blown away uh kind of what was more like the Halliburton experience and I guess how it kind of contrasts with your own draft experience in that way yeah, 2020 was the first year I really got into the draft. Um, I want to say the year before the Kings didn't have their pick. I want to say that was uh, given to Philadelphia that was then moved to Boston. It became Romeo Langford, 14, actually. Um, so 2020 was the first year I really dove into the draft and like made a board and everything and did those episodes you were talking about. And that was my way of coping as a Kings fan. I got to find my excitement somehow. So I'll, I'll do it through the draft, I guess. Um, I didn't think Halliburton would fall to 12. Like I didn't think it was crazy necessarily, um, but I thought he made a lot of sense for like Atlanta, but pretty much like any mock I did, I just put him at Atlanta every time I thought him having a primary creator alongside him was essential. And I thought Trey young was that guy um, and just kind of pegged Halliburton as potentially like an elite role player at the ceiling. And I still think that's probably where I'm at. Like the difference was, this off the dribble shooting that I don't think any of us expected, you know, some of the space creation um, was not really seen during his time at Iowa state. Um, So I I think that's where this potential ceiling is. He had a couple games last year. I want to say it's against uh, one game against golden state, one against Brooklyn, where he shot upwards of 20 times in those games. And that's just like something that you need to see from him. If he's going to, be breaking into more of like a potential all-star because another aspect, and this is part of what makes Halliburton so great is that he's just so unselfish. Um, but almost to a fault sometimes because excuse my dog's toy oh, in the background. No, it's fine. <laughs> I swear she only squeaks it when I'm recording something, <laughs> No um, but I think that that is the big difference for Halliburton and the main thing for him. Like I was saying that, that also, is sometimes a struggle is that he's so unselfish and sometimes like he's got to look around and be like, all right, I'm the best guy on the floor right now. I, I need to take some, some more of these shots, you know? So I think that that's where I'm going to be really focusing on this year um, where I'm still unsure if Halliburton can be a future all-star, okay. um, but at very least like elite role player and the clear improvements need to be putting on some weight, which I think is expected with time. Right. Yeah. And then also his handle, which I think would be really big for some of that space creation. But um, yeah, I mean, as a complimentary guy alongside Fox, I thought he was phenomenal. I wish he would have played more minutes alongside Fox last year mm-hmm. um, rather than like being the guy running the second unit, but the buddy healed situation makes that a little bit complicated. Yeah. We got to touch on that too. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, great three point shooter off the catch, like defensively, he, is just a ball hawk off ball. You know, he's a, he's a big time playmaker there. Great understanding of rotations and knowing just, I mean, I think he puts himself in the offensive player shoes really well, and he's got a great feel of the floor. So I think that translates to the defensive end, but then 
inversely, like on ball, it's pretty bad. Like there's a Toronto game that stands out to me. They had to hide him most games on defense. Wow. Um, and, you know, he's a, I mean, I don't think that's too atypical for a rookie, right? Yeah. Like I'm sure that's happening a little bit with Anton Lamello as well. Like some of these top guys, not to the same extent, but like mm-hmm. Toronto, they hide him on you to Wantanabe. And I want to say Wantanabe has a career high. Um, wow. So that's <laughs> some area that needs a little bit of work, but I think that it's expected uh, slightly to an extent for a rookie um, and that there'll be growth there. So I absolutely love Halliburton. Like as a person, you see him go on the JJ Reddick podcast all the time. He's super well-spoken. So just a great guy to root for. And I do think he absolutely blew expectations out of the water and is potentially changing the trajectory of the franchise compared to what I think a typical 12th overall pick would have been. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's definitely still aspects that need to be worked on and I'm not ready quite as much as some people are to say he's more than an elite role player. And I think that that needs to kind of be shown this year for me. I get you. Definitely. Yeah. I can see the pendulum swinging from one way all the way to the other. And yes, a very strong year, but going, Oh, you know, he's the next big guard. And I haven't, not that I've heard that, but I can see it, you know, it's kind of the way we are here on Twitter and just NBA stuff in terms of just regular general fans, not someone who's following as uh, close as you are, but yeah, I definitely looking forward to a, a stronger year and we'll touch on him a little bit more down the line, but um, let's just enter into off season. We kind of, I mean, Kings, you know, kind of started a little earlier in that sense. Um, I guess before I even touch on the draft, this is just my own personal question for you. Did you have, I know you did, but like, what were some clear identifying needs that you hoped the Kings would fill uh, just before obviously the offseason started? Just kind of generalize, you know, expectations with what ended up happening. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a capable backup big was a big thing for me. Like when you're talking about this team being horrible, horrible defensively, a lot of that had to do with a lack of rim protection. I mentioned before, like Holmes being really good at switching and I think he's, an average rim protector. Um, but then Holmes gets off the floor and all of a sudden it's Damian Jones or Chemezi Metsu or Marvin Bagley at your five or Hassan Whiteside at the beginning of the year. Like none of these guys I would say are good defenders, even if, you know, Whiteside maybe has that attached to him sometimes. Um, so I think that that was a clear hole for me. And really, I kind of thought that the main area improvement was going to be the draft pick, but then also, getting a new coach and that didn't end up happening. So yeah. <laughs> I, I was pretty disappointed that that was to me like, okay, this is where the big improvement is going to come from. Okay. And didn't really see that. Um, they didn't have that much flexibility this off season. Um, when it came to cap space, you know, I was really, really concerned that Rashawn Holmes was going to walk because the most they could offer him was the early bird rights of four years, 47 million. Mm. And he ended up taking that, which shocked me because, um, I don't remember other names off the top of my head, but there's a handful of centers throughout the league getting paid more than Holmes when Holmes is pretty convincingly a better player than them. Yeah. So (laughs) I almost want to say they got lucky, but maybe that's just me not giving the Kings the benefit of the doubt and who knows how much they really deserve it after all the things um, Mm -hmm. that go on in that organization. But that was the big focus was retaining Holmes and they were successful in doing that. So I think a lot of the like, changes or improvements based on this offseason also have to do with the moves that were made at the deadline uh, last year and those guys having a full offseason with the team and those guys being um, Maurice Harkless and Terrence Davis and then DeLon Wright was also part of that but then they swapped DeLon Wright for Tristan Thompson which is a deal that doesn't really make much sense to me (laughs) because now you're looking at three centers and only two point guards on the roster Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't really know. To me, it'd be more balanced if it was right instead of Thompson. But I was just complaining that I didn't feel great about the center rotation last year. And now when you're looking at Holmes, Alex Lynn, and Tristan Thompson, like it's covered. Yeah, I like that rotation. So <laughs> yeah, it's solid. I thought Alex Lynn had a great year last year, too. I mean, as someone who watched a little bit more Wizards, you know, as a Russell Westbrook fan, that's another story. Um, but yeah, I agree. I guess even you already kind of started, I mean, with the three-way trade that the Kings did alongside um, with the Hawks and the Celtics that did net them, Tristan Thompson, um, while losing, of course, Delon Wright. Um, but even before we can get that, and you also mentioned kind of more the off-season additions really being the mid-season edition from last year, getting that full year to integrate. Um, but what about the draft? I mean, that's kind of the big thing I think people think of when they think of Sacramento Kings and anything that's offseason. Uh, of course, drafting uh, Davion Mitchell ninth. I'm going to try this. Um, Nimiya Quota? Namish. Oh, the, my the, the last name is not as complicated as it is. Yeah, that's. Nam- yeah, I guess it's Namish. Namish. 
Okay. Yeah. See, this I is was, what happens when you're someone who reads. I was reading so many pieces about him today and didn't actually listen. Well, and it's <laughs> funny because like I listen to and it's hard, right? Because what you have to go and watch like his highlight tapes and just hope the announcers are saying it They're right. Saying and, it, yeah. and apparently I talked to one of his assistant coaches from Utah State and he was the one that like actually educated me because oh, wow. he was like, oh, yeah, everybody says it wrong. And I probably said it wrong. Like I, I said it wrong on my podcast yesterday. Like it's so difficult okay. unless I'm like conscious of it. Yeah, it gets messed up way too often. But <laughs> I'm the only Portuguese guy drafted into the NBA. So careful with cool. Portuguese. Portuguese fans will come after you for that one. He said, yes, sir. No, I don't need that at all. <laughs> but, um, you know, drafting him with the 39th pick, um, drafting Mitchell with the ninth, with the ninth pick. Um, let's kind of start on Mitchell. Uh, I mean, how would you kind of gauge the hype? I mean, we saw instantly. One, uh, just tell the listeners just kind of the nickname he has going on. I love uh, this. It, it was so random but fresh, and I love it. But, like, kind of go into the hype he had. You know, obviously, lit up Summer League, gave some guards fits. Um, lit up summer league. I'd say more on the defensive side. I'm saying lit up is just a word here, but um, just describe kind of the hype in Sacramento, given you know what he's shown so far. Of course, summer league. Yeah, I'll say when they made the pick, um, I I was watching the draft with a friend, and yeah. I you know before the Kings came on the clock, I was like watching the Woj and Sham tweets and getting it ahead of the actual like broadcast, and then I was like, no, 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 I'm just gonna watch this live, you know. Um, and then I couldn't help myself. I ran back to my computer, checked it out. And I, I wish it was recorded because I freaked out. I was like, there is no way that is who they just drafted. You know, like you have to be kidding me, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Like I was so like, for us, it was like Franz Wagner or Moses Moody and Wagner went one pick before I believe to Orlando. Um, Moody was on the table for a while. And even if I could redo it after summer league, I wouldn't have gone Mitchell. Like, I don't really get wow. it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. But I will say, um, obviously, it was phenomenal in Summer League. You know, that Las Vegas Summer League MVP, the nickname you were hinting at is Off Night, because whoever is. he guards has an off night. I love a it. Pretty, a pretty dope nickname. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, you saw that. Like, there's the clip that went semi-viral of, like, him locking up James Booknight, and he dribbles it off his own foot, goes out of bounds. Um yeah, I mean, I think that there were clips during his time at Baylor where he won a national championship, by the way, of him guarding Cade Cunningham, which is, you know, he's 6'1 and Cade's a 6'8 guard. And that's like where you really are hoping that there's something there, right? But I think the other aspect is like, was just he guarding Cade Cunningham or was all of Baylor guarding Cade Cunningham and focused on Cade because who else did you have to worry about on that Oklahoma State team? Um, so I think True. it's it's interesting. Um but the aspect of it that feels important is just like the intangibles. And this team got called soft so many times last year by myself included. Like, I, I think it was an understandable label. Um, there was a play that Namiyash Kita like dunked on Jonas Valanciunas. Sorry, not, not Kita. Um, Chemezi Metu dunked on Valanciunas. Valanciunas felt a way about it and like threw him off the rim. Yep. I remember that. That was horrible. Yes. And not a single Kings player went up to Valanciunas. And it's like, what, what's going on here? Like, yeah. where is the fire to this team? Like, they were pushovers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Mitchell is like the polar opposite of that guy. So I think the idea here, and there's already been stories of his crazy work ethic, um, that they have to tell him to go home from the practice facility. So I think that that's the intangibles that really probably was the intriguing aspect to, to GM McNair. Um, that, you know, he is going to be pushing the other guys and culture was something that we heard over and over throughout this off season. And I think that Davion's the exact type of player and type of person that you want on your team. So I kind of think that that had a lot to do with the logic. And I do think that like Davion has an aspect of offense that is understated. Like his shooting was phenomenal his final year at Baylor, but the years prior to that were not very good. So we'll see where he ends up kind of settling in with that. And his free throw numbers are a little skeptical too. So the shooting is going to be an interesting question, but like yeah. the change of pace, I think the way that he understands picking his spots, navigating screens, he dribbles well with both hands and finishes with both around the rim. Um, yeah. I mean, just a ridiculously hard worker. Like I do think there's shades of like a Kyle Lowry in there, wow. you know? So I, I mean, like there is a genuinely, high ceiling for Davion, but you kind of have to see that from early on, you know, like if you think of 
Damian Lillard, which is super ridiculously high praise, but just to throw it out there, right? Four years at Weber State. He was really good year one. Like you could tell year one did, okay, there was something here in, in a different level than maybe what expected when he got drafted. And I think that like Davion would need to show that really early on. Um, and, you know, maybe he does. I hope he does. It, it, they have to have just believed that it was best player available because the fit is horrible with Fox and Halliburton, <laughs> yeah. right? And I, we've been saying for years, like, just pick the guy that you think's best player. And, you know, credit to them for having the balls to do that. I didn't agree with it, but if you genuinely think Davion's the best guy, that's that pick. Yeah. Yeah. Then credit to you. If you had him in a tier above the other guys, then good for you. I just, I hope you're right. Yeah. I mean, I drew a lot of parallels to that with um, this, and it's not an exact comparison, but it is, it is something um, with the Suns drafting um, Cameron Johnson um, 11th. And like at the time, looking at that going like, okay, what in the world was that thought process in terms of him being like the best player or whatever the case may be? And I mean, he's proven himself to be a, you know a great contributor so far. Now at the same time, for every one of a Cam Johnson, you can also have you know uh, look at what the Suns did the very next year in the same draft slot. I actually thought that they would have been a better pick for a Halliburton than who they ultimately selected. Um, who we. It just wasn't good. It wasn't a good year, you know? That was the funny thing to me is that I had a clear 11 guys in mm-hmm. like the, there. I think there was like throughout three different tiers, but there was like a big cutoff after 11 for me. And mm-hmm. I was like, of course the Kings pick at 12. <laughs> the one outlier was Jalen Smith. So yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, and there you go. And at, at the moment I did the same thing, just being in Arizona, of course, watching Johnson going, why, you know, I don't remember who I want in place of him, but definitely didn't want him. And even now, almost like you said about, uh, Mitchell, if they redid it as nice as Johnson's been and as good a help as he's been, I still would probably like a little bit different. Of course, hindsight being 2020, but Smith made no sense to me. And it was one of those picks where I was like, this isn't going to make sense to me. Like, it just, it, I knew that there wasn't going to be, oh, maybe it works out. It just didn't fit at all with what I felt the Suns' needs were. And even this year, not to go all Sun centric, but you know, you have, um, JaVale McGee, I don't think Smith's going to play the four. I mean, that's where you kind of be shoehorned in right now. And I don't know if that's the perfect fit. So there's questions and, and you're right. Like it is, it isn't exactly an exact science, of course, and not, like the draft, but there's certain teams that just make wise picks and certain teams that don't. There's certain teams, like you said, the Kings that, you know, like they made the move they thought was best and it will remain to be seen how it kind of pays off. Yeah. And then when it comes to Keita, I think mm-hmm. that the, um, the front office really liked him. Um, okay. You know, I think that he also is a reported uh, hard worker, but I don't know how often do you hear that guys are like bad workers when it yeah. comes to all this draft coverage, you know? That's true. Um, so, but there's a video that stands out to me when, when McNair goes and like announces to the rest of the staff that they're taking Kita, and he walks in and kind of jokes around to like, Oh, who do you think we're taking? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, of course it's Kita. And like the way that he said it to me was like, Oh, they clearly had this guy as like the best guy left on their board by a decent margin. They seem really excited that he made it that far. Um, his rim protection is, is really promising. He's got great length and size. I think he moves really well for how big he is. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely don't expect any sort of impact from him this year. And like I mentioned, yeah. there's a pretty deep center rotation on this team. Who knows if Damian Jones makes it out of training camp, but yeah, I mean, just stocked him minutes for Kita, And I think that he's intriguing. So definitely, definitely. And like you said, I mean, someone has that potential. I would love to see him kind of grow out a jump shot. That'd be kind of cool. I mean, I look for every big for that, but like as someone who like, Finishes the ball around the basket, has a high motor, like you said, works hard. <laughs> you know, you you could do a lot worse. And the fact they had him targeted again, the Kings might have had a nice, decent little uh, draft night themselves. We'll see how that goes. But off season, I mean, I, I, it's pretty simple. Like you said, there wasn't a lot of flexibility. The Kings made basically one move, uh, getting Tristan Thompson in that trade, signing Alex Lyon. How do you grade just the collective uh, move moves that the Kings did in terms of, and you kind of touched on it, getting a decent big in Len um, and then getting another one in Thompson. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just like a C if, if you yeah. go off, like if you go off the thought of like season average mm-hmm. and that's kind of been the whole thing with McNair, like I was talking about this the other day, there hasn't been any major moves in either side. Like I, I think you've had some marginal victories and maybe some marginal losses, but in more so of the former, but it's really just kind of ungraded at this point. And a lot of it seems to be that he's just waiting to make a big splash. And maybe Simmons is that guy. Um, but that seems to be like what a lot of these Houston or ex Houston, ex Daryl Morey um, guys 
seem to be doing, you know, like Gerson Rosas um, before all this craziness went down um, was definitely doing that. And I think like his, one of his big moves, if he didn't have another one potentially um, that he was trying for was, was the D low for what ended up being Wiggins and Jonathan Kuminga. And that got a lot of backlash because some pretty poor pick protections on it. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's pretty hard. Like it seems like they just keep pushing, pushing it down the line and it's just like, Oh, well, you know, they'll make a big move eventually because the roster needs more. Um, So, I mean, I guess when you're factoring in retaining homes, because I was really convinced that there was no way that was going to happen unless they cleared space. Mm -hmm. So yeah, factoring that in, I guess I'll give it like a B minus. Okay. That's solid. Just given where, what they had, to make moves and what they end up walking away from. I totally understand that for sure. Um, I guess looking from the roster that they kind of assembled to, you know, what it is now, um, primarily, I feel like I almost want to start with Walton, but I'm going to keep with my program here. Um, you have you have Mitchell. You know he's going to factor in heavily because you draft him where you did. You have Fox. We were talking about how good he is. You have Halliburton with such a great year. There, there, there's going to have to be, you would imagine, um, all three playing at the same time um, unless you plan on doing some weird stagger. But even then, if they're three of your best players, three of your, let's say, six best players on the Kings, they're going to share a significant portion of the four together. How how do you see Luke Walton putting this together? I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Like, part of the... I, I think you have to see the lineup sometimes. But I also yeah. think that, like, it could just be really rare. They don't have any other point guards. Like, I, if mm. you play all three of them at the same time, um, I just don't see how it lasts that long because you always need at very least one of those guys on the floor. I get it. Okay. Um, so I don't know. Like, I, I think it'll happen sometimes. I think it has yeah. to, you know, yeah. like the idea, there's no way that you picked Mitchell and didn't think like, okay, it, you, you can do that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how much it'll work. Like everybody wants to point to the OKC thing. Yeah. I hear that a lot. Yeah. But I mean, SGA is big. SGA is really big. Yeah. And has Halliburton that guy? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, they, it's inter- mm-hmm. interesting because to guys like Fox is pretty similar to Dennis Schroeder, the fast and slim guy. Uh, SGA and Halliburton are kind of similar, the more lengthy guy, even though I think SGA has some a couple inches on him. And then Mitchell and CP3, like the shorter, beefier guy. Yeah. Um, so I think that's – there's maybe – a mold to go off of there, but I'm pretty skeptical of it. Um, I'm still excited to see it. Like, I think it would be really entertaining. And as long as they are really aggressive and annoying on defense, that maybe that can be something. And the idea has to be that you just have a constant mismatch on the offensive end of the floor. Um, that's, yeah. what, that's what OKC did a lot. It was just a whole lot of isolation because there's constantly a mismatch going on. All three of those guys can run ISO and that's, Kind of the idea, I think, with these three. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't expect yeah. it all too often, but mm-hmm. I think it'll be fun in, in short spurts. Okay, definitely. I actually want to throw one out to you. I know a lot of people were comparing them to the, the OKC guards, like you said, but I was actually thinking more, I mean, it's kind of funky, right? Like, you know how the Dallas Mavericks back between, like, 2016, 2018 had, like, Raymond Felton, J.J. Barea, Devin Harris, like, more in that realm. Not because of, like, the type of play, but because they are small and don't make, like, a natural fit. But they did see some of the four together. You know, you would have Raymond Felton kind of have to kind of take up more of the bigger assignments and moments. And, you know, J.J. Redick, was, I mean, not J.J. Redick, J.J. Brand more of a shooter. Um, Devin Harris more of a slasher. I could see it more in that archetype. But, like, you did do a, a very good comparison as far as, like, how it could work compared to OKC. In fact, I don't want to – I feel like I heard I'm, – I'm, I'm, I listen to too much. I was going to say, I feel like I've seen, like, an episode on a comparison just on that. Um but I'm probably reaching to I, I did do one with an okay, OKC then, cover, yeah. Then that's okay. Yeah, the other blue, blue I, I do remember hearing it. So there, okay, I'm not going crazy. Awesome. Well, um, <laughs> speaking of how Walton would attack that, like you said, rationally in that case, because you kind of need a point guard. What is your kind of recap on Walton? Because I only have my leg experience to draw on. I'm not going to pretend that all I know is I hear he's generally bad. But for someone who watches in and out has he been, I mean, okay, and I, I want to attack this in a way that, like looking at the last like five or six Kings coaches, you know, we're taking out Malone um, and maybe Ager. I'm not really sure how fans were on him. Like it's been pretty rough. So is he like, yeah, another in the long line of like mm-hmm, coaches or is he like 
just kind of break down your own thoughts on him. Just let it loose. <laughs> I just don't think that he's like, okay, so there are understandable critiques of Walton that, you know, the things in LA of, you know, the one year that LeBron doesn't make the playoffs. And sure, there's other aspects outside of just poor coaching. But then you also see all of these Laker young guys that once they leave, they look a lot better. Um, and maybe that was just their natural yeah. growth. Like maybe it's just they were younger and needed some time and a more defined role in a different place, even though I think it's kind of the coach's job to define a role. Yep. Um, so, you know, maybe you can write him off a little bit there, but I don't know what you can point to that's positive. Like there's been players he's misutilized, but he healed one that stands out. Um, I don't know why the idea is having Buddy healed guard Devin Booker. This is like before CP3 gets there. Um, and it's like, I, I just don't get why you're putting Buddy on the best perimeter player out there sometimes. And I think, because I try to find the rationale like somewhere. And I think that it's like, like I said, Buddy is really engaged on defense. The issue is when he's asked to do off ball rotations. So maybe it's like, okay, hey, we'll just put him on the guy that he's just got to stay in front of the whole time. And that simplifies it for him, even if he can't exactly stay in front of him. Uh, yeah. So maybe that's the idea, but um, yeah. And then the other positive is that the players really like him. Like, oh, I guess, but yeah. like, yeah, personally, I don't really care. Like, <laughs> like Steph Curry really liked Mark Jackson. Giannis really liked Jason, Jason Kidd. Kidd. Mm-hmm. Both those guys get replaced and the team gets a lot better. Yeah. And, and you, it's not like the players are sitting there complaining. I guess Giannis like had his little moment with kid, right? But he got talked out of it. And obviously it was better for the long term. Yeah. Like, I just don't really care that the players like him that much. Like they, they didn't like him enough to play hard for him last year. Yeah. And, and maybe that has to do with like some of the staff or something. And I don't think, like, I don't know. I, I think that Walton does really try to push the guys. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, I just can't point to like a positive thing he's done and it's been, five years now where he's been, you know, pretty bad records with, yeah. I think like not good rosters, but decent rosters, mm-hmm. you know, like there isn't. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that there's the players coaches. I think he could be interesting on a team that like has stars. Yeah, Like you saw a little bit with golden state, but when he had his little short tenure there, I think Steve Kerr had his like back issue. Right. And this yeah. is the 73 and nine year, but like, how much do you really have to coach those guys that much? Exactly. I think when you're just like appealing to stars and getting, making them comfortable, almost in like a Doc Rivers-esque role. Um, yeah. and, and he has the understanding of being an ex-player. Like, I think that maybe Walton could be decent in that aspect. I think he'd make a really good assistant coach. Um, but when you're coaching a roster that is not as talented as the rest of the league, um, I think a Brad Stevens, I used to be a big Celtics guy, like Steven's got the most out of his role players, right? Like Jay Crowder, Isaiah Thomas, Avery Bradley, like Jonas Jarebko looked good on that team. Yeah. Um, and then on the other aspect, like once he finally got stars, it was a struggle for him. Like, I think it's just two different aspects of coaching. Mm-hmm. And I think Walton leans more so more so towards um, <laughs> preferring having stars on his team, which saying out <laughs> loud sounds really stupid. <laughs> Because every coach is going to prefer having stars on their exactly, team. Yeah. And that probably means you're just a bad coach is what it comes down <laughs> to. So. Way, to, way to definitely boil that down, Brendan. That was kind of funny. Ultimately, you know, you'd rather have great guys on his team to, to kind of just <laughs> – it's a conscious vibe. I think he's with. a really good coach if he has Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, and Clay Thompson. <laughs> you know, go. like <laughs> I think even is. I could coach that team, but yeah, yeah, yeah. go out there, play hard. You know, there it is. I'm with you. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't even have to go into the knots on that since we already kind of talked about it. There weren't positives. So as far as motivation, I guess that'd be a factor. Um, do you think he is? Uh, I guess obviously you would in terms of adjusting, making adjustments on the fly. Like, not great with that. No, I don't think like game to game. I think he was really willing to switch up the starting lineup. Okay. Which is maybe something he didn't get that much credit for. Um, mm-hmm. And some players weren't too happy about that. Buddy Heald being the one really. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think he did that a little bit. But there were definitely plenty of games where it's like, all right, the opposing team definitely changed their game plan at halftime and we're just running the same thing. And yeah. like I said, that switch everything. It's like, all right, why are we keep on doing this every single time? Like, I, I, don't, I don't understand. So. I think when it comes to changing lineups, he was really willing to do that and try things. Um, And I'll give him credit for that. But like in-game adjustments, 
No dice. Not too, not too much now. Okay, I feel that. Um, and the well, big, I think the big. Sorry to cut you off. Oh, I think no, no. like the big idea between bringing him back, like a lot of it has to do with continuity. Like you mentioned, uh-huh. like there's been so many coaches that come through Sacramento. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of funny how he's opposite of Jaeger, where it's like, it seems like all the players hated Jaeger. Yeah. Um, that was his issue in Memphis too. He didn't was- get along with the front office. So, and I'm assuming that's why Jaeger doesn't have a job because yeah, yeah. that Kings team is the best record they've had in who knows how long. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did optimize players like Buddy Heald had a career year. Oh. Um, and, you know, they just ran ridiculously often. I, I don't know how Jaeger's voice didn't turn into Doc Rivers-esque with how often <laughs> you could hear him screaming for the team to run the second they would get a rebound. Wow. But like they had an identity. Um, so yeah, but again, a lot of turnover. So I think some of the idea is just like continuity and he and McNair reportedly have a really good relationship. They talk all the time. So yeah, maybe having some continuity can be useful for this team. Um, but that seems to be the main argument that the players like him. Yeah. See, and at least that's, that's something. I mean, (laughs) I was thinking at first while they just want to cut off the con, I was very much more pessimistic on, you know, his contract, just want to pay the guy. And I want to have yet another coach. They're still paying after they said we no longer need your services. But that does make more sense. And from a player perspective, you know, especially when you are, you know, like I said, Fox is still, you know, young. Halliburton, first, second year now. And he even said, I think, oh, what, today or yesterday, that he thinks it's like rookie year 2.0. Um, and then Mitchell as well, that there is some deeper thinking there that I wasn't at least thinking about. So definitely appreciate that. Before I go into the next question, I do have to ask, you brought him up a couple of times. I think it's only fair to just address the elephant in the room. That's not really elephant. It's just a guy named buddy. Um, what's up with buddy healed. And just, I mean, you had the trade that, that wasn't to be that from a Lakers perspective, um, Lakers fan love Russell Westbrook. So I was tied for both, but like, I really thought that the buddy trade would be a better fit. Just having like just great shooting for the first time. since we had LeBron here. We've had guys in, in, in number. I mean, Danny green, other guys who come with the reputation of shooting, but just seeing how prolific buddy has been, Last year, the season before that, just having somebody with that volume, I thought would be a great fit. Also, we wouldn't have been giving up our best perimeter player um, in Contavious Caldwell-Pope. It would just have been, you know, Montrezl Harrell, who was already kind of on his way out mentally anyway. And, you know, Kyle Kuzma, who, you know, Kyle Kuzma. Um, so not having that trade happen, fine. From the Kings perspective, I mean, the guy was all but out the door. Now he's back. You know, you have that kind of awkwardness. I think Tristan Thompson had a funny way handling it um, yeah. immediately yesterday, but just in general. And Buddy was, was for his part playing along. I thought it was funny in terms of saying, you know, they love me so much, you know, and all the stuff he says there seems like a very engaging guy outside of what I hear uh, around that. But what are your thoughts on the whole Buddy Hill situation, how he fits? Will he stay this year? That's like a conundrum in itself. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like we've heard for like the last two years. Oh, I'd be shocked if Buddy's here by the end of the year. (laughs) Yeah, still is. Um, You know, I I do think that like Buddy is a great compliment to De'Aaron Fox on the offensive end, Um, you know, with Fox's elite downhill ability and finishing around the rim, having somebody that can space the floor and catch and shoot on off movement, move around screens in the way that buddy can and shoot from range, such a quick trigger. Like I think that's a really good offensive pairing. And you saw that in the Jaeger year, but I think Halliburton's a better fit. And it's kind of what it comes down to for me is that like buddy doesn't seem to be willing to accept a bench roll. Um, or at least not content with it. Like he'll do it, but he's definitely going to have a commenter here, here or there. Of course. Um, which doesn't really help. And it's also funny that like, I don't think it was last, I don't remember if it was last year or the year before actually, but when he did get moved to the bench, but some of his best basketball, mm-hmm. like he gets to be the focus of the offense, which I think is what Buddy wants. You know, like he's also a pretty good off the dribble shooter only from three, which is the issue. He doesn't exactly get to the rim. He mm-hmm. doesn't shoot as many mid-ranges as I think that he actually should because he is just such a good pull-up shooter. Um, but, yeah, I think that I would expect Buddy to be moved. Um, I would have been ecstatic with that trade. Um, you know, I think that Kyle Kuzma fits a lot better on this roster. I mentioned kind of the guard depth and overlap that they have with some of these guys. And yeah, who knows Montrose Harrell would have been beforehand with this Lennon Thompson stuff. So who knows how that would have affected the rest of the off season. But yeah, I mean, I would be shocked if buddy stuck around throughout the whole year, but I also don't know that he has really good value. Like I think that part of it has to be with you are just kind of waiting out his contract. I want to say it's 22 million this year. 
20 the year after. Um, so I think that's a lot for Buddy yeah. Heald. Um, I, I think that he probably is viewed as a negative asset when it comes to production based on the money that he's paid. So it's going to take a really specific situation to look at Buddy Heald and be like, that's a guy that we want to add to our team. And I think that's the holdup. Like, I think the Kings are, I would guess that the Kings are looking to shop him. It seems yeah. like that's the case. You know, he was just practically included in a deal. Um, so yeah, I don't really know. I, I really hope that Halliburton starts over Buddy. Yeah. Um, I think we need as many minutes of Halliburton and Fox alongside each other as possible. We didn't get that as, as much as I thought we should have last year. Um, and, and Buddy gets in the way of that a little bit. But I mean, if Buddy is willing to just be content with the player that I think he is, um, and I don't know, who am I to say? I, I think he could be a really good fit on this roster, but it seems like he just wants more than that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, real quick, I, it's been talked about a lot, but I tend to think that Buddy would be a great fit in Philadelphia, like playing off of Joel Embiid totally. and if possible, of course, Ben Simmons trade for money and everything. I don't, I see why the 76ers, I would think are rightfully out of their mind, but also have a right to ask for one of the three Sacramento guards just for value on their end because Buddy Hill won't be the centerpiece of a Ben Simmons trade. But like just for myself personally, I think that'd be a great fit. I mean, Ben to Sacramento, another young guy fits right in the timeline there, just his own unique talents. But like having someone like Buddy who can just stay to his strengths, you know, I think you have stronger perimeter players in Philadelphia that can help, you know, Danny Green, a multi-style who can kind of help uh, mitigate some of his own weaknesses. And you have someone who literally just provides spacing, literally come off down screens. You know, that's all you have to do. And, and can you throw an entry pass once in a while? Because I imagine who else the seventies would get would also be able to do that. But that that's, that's my thought on that, but I'm with you. It's just a matter of, like you said, somebody who wants to be gone, but you know, don't have a taker. It's very, very similar to that. Yeah, to that situation. It, I mean, like, yeah, look at how good Seth Curry looked last year you know like yeah I, I mean i think it actually has a little bit of a debate which one's a better player um oh, okay but and you know some of that probably has to do with willingness yeah. to play that role yeah um but yeah i mean i think the other ironic part is that like ben simmons and buddy would play great together too um <laughs> yeah and that's probably what it would be unless it's harrison barnes included in the deal as the mm. salary matching um but i would guess that you know they're going to try for buddy um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I would do, I, I don't know if, yeah, I don't know how much you want to get into it, but like I would oh, do yeah. buddy, I would do buddy Bagley Mitchell and a first or two. Oh, wow. Okay. So I mean, you I, would be, yeah, I like, no, I'm down. I didn't realize that, that I was, had to get talked out of Halliburton. Like I was, I was ready for it. Oh, really? Yeah. People hated me. People. Wow. Hated me for sure. Yeah. I'm about but, to say Kings fans. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. People hated me, but like it's a 25 year old three-time all-star. Mm -hmm. uh, one or two time defensive player of the year. Mm -hmm. And I just don't know when you're getting that level of talent. Like we're talking about how the Kings are the worst defense of all time. I don't know who in the world is their <laughs> wing defender like Harrison Barnes. Cool. I guess yeah. like he's all right. He's, I'm just he's does yeah. Everything above average, just slightly above average. Mm -hmm. Right. But he's getting a step slower at this point. Like he, yeah. you don't want to put Harrison Barnes on LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and even the guys you would be yeah. matching in the Western Conference three times right. a year. Yeah. Right. So, like, he fits that perfectly. Um, and I think that he fits the timeline well. Like, yeah. you want another initiator alongside him. And I don't think the Fox pairing is that bad. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the the aspect is if you're trading Buddy and Halliburton, what is your spacing now? Um, yeah. And, and I don't think that, like, Halliburton would be included in a deal. Um, mm -hmm. even though I would talk myself into it if that did happen. Um, so yeah, but mm -hmm. if, if those two were moved all of a sudden, what it's Fox Simmons, Barnes, I guess, Mitchell mm -hmm. and Holmes. And it's like, that spacing is pretty suspect. Yeah. Terrence um, Davis is all right. But yeah. Terrence I mean, Davis is cool. Yeah. Um, aside from his ridiculous off court issues. Yeah. That, complicated every conversation around him. No, I felt bad even throwing his name out there just now. <laughs> I, yeah. just, I was like, eh, it's Harris Davis. Yeah, yeah so exactly. You. So, oh, yeah, man. I mean, um, but I mean, Buddy and Bagley and how, how many picks do you want at that point? Like, yeah. you got to try something. Like, I, I, I wrote something even earlier today. Like, mm -hmm. if it's not Simmons, then Simmons goes somewhere else. What is this team going to do? You're going to sit and wait for the next disgruntled star? Mm -hmm. Like, because this team is not good enough and I don't know how you get notably better. Like yeah. I said, these marginal moves are cool, but they need a 
third guy. Like you might even need a number two guy. You, I mean, ideally you get another guy that's on the level of Fox. Like if yeah. you really want to be a team that like is potentially making a jump, the level of the Suns, they yeah. had to get Chris Paul, the same level as Booker, I would say right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just don't know where you're getting that guy. Like I, no. I think that you need to capitalize on situations like this where it's potentially pennies on the dollar, which who knows if that's actually the case with Daryl Morey. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm all for like, this team needs to do something. Yeah. And I agree with you. I mean, even the way to get a Chris Paul, you had a team, you made solid moves in terms of, you know, bringing in a, a Kelly Oubre, you know, bringing in a Ricky Rubio and then moving off of those guys after having productive years and guys who they liked, you know, and saying, nope. And that was the stepping stone they need to take to get Chris Paul. So I'm with you. And it just in another way altogether, I mean, Look at it. This is the Kings' chance to make a trade for somebody. If you're going to trust the drafting, I mean, look at where the Kings have drafted outside of Fox and Halliburton between where, what, the last 10 years? I mean, we're bringing up Hoppianis and guys like that, you know? Like, do you really trust the Kings' front office or several front offices over the last couple of years to consistently make the right pick when you're drafting between 10 and 15, you know, 9 and 14 year after year when you're not that bad to be at the very, very top and when you are, it's even rougher and then usually you're like just outside like you mentioned earlier the top five in a five-man draft you know the top eight in a man draft so yeah i'm with you there this is i think that that package you actually gave was a pretty solid one i hadn't even thought i was trying to think oh it's not going to happen because you're not including one of those three but you just said like if you do take one and you just get mitchell you make him the deal because halliburton's been so good you have to make a move of that caliber you have to part with someone like that to get someone like that and that's true yeah and we don't know what mitchell's gonna be like yeah. he had a great summer league. He's got a reported great work ethic. You know, he could be, like I said, I guess Lowry, like yeah, that's a really, really high end outcome. <laughs> high end. That's right? nice though, but yeah. But every, like, that's like projecting. some of the other comps, like Marcus Smart, he's too small to be Marcus Smart's yeah. level of versatility um, on the defensive end. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, you just don't know what you're getting with Mitchell and mm-hmm. people have a lot of skepticism of Ben, I think understandably so, but that team was just the number one seed in the Eastern conference last year. Ben's issues mainly surfaced in the playoffs. The Kings can't make the playoffs in 15 years. Like I get that your goals should be further than that. And I've been somebody that said that probably more than anybody, like you can't just chase the playoffs mm-hmm. or if, cause then the fan base is going to get tired of being a first round exit every year. Like sure. They'd be happy the first year, but you get over being Orlando for the last five years, a first round exit every single time. Like mm-hmm. they would enjoy it at first, but you'd get over it. So that can't be your ceiling, but I don't know. You know what Simmons is yeah. and maybe some of those aspects are, are bad, um, but he does still have room for improvement at 25 years old. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where they get another talent like that. So I, I there's no way that Mitchell's anywhere close to off the table in a Simmons deal for me. Okay. I, I know some people that feel that way. Yeah. And a lot of that has to do with culture. Um, you know, I think they're on complete opposite spectrums there. So I, I, I guess I get it, but no, to me, like, no, question. Happen. no yeah. question. And he's locked up long-term too. So that's another guy you have for four yeah. more years. I mean, you're getting them through, you know, just before he gets to the tail end of his prime, possibly. You yeah, know? I mean, an interesting aspect is like Philly media is so known for being tough, right? Like the whole booed Santa Claus thing. And you're seeing all this <laughs> stuff with Simmons and some of the Simmons stuff is deserved it. And, you know, yeah. it, it, it's both sides, right? Like Simmons isn't doing himself any favors. Not at all. But Sacramento media is kind of soft too. Like mm-hmm. the fan, like if he came here and brought the team to the playoffs, like, oh my God, he'd be the golden child. Yeah. Like the Kings LeBron. love him here. It's <laughs> total opposite, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. A fresh start for him, and I think like a softer media could be an interesting aspect to it as yeah. well. Just might be what he needs to kind of continue him to, who knows, be the Kickstarter yeah. that he needs, you know, a move. Plus, like you said, a nicer reception. Um, Wow. Well, that was. I'm glad we went down that rabbit hole for a second. It is kind of important to the Kings just because they are in those discussions. But bring it back to the roster. Um, I wanted to get one player that you were high on, one guy that you weren't. I've used the stock, like one guy that you picked up a lot of stock on this season that you have going, and one guy who's like, you know, heading in the season, it could change, but right now, you know, you're just not as high as the general consensus, or even among Kings fans. Yeah. Um, I, I do think I'm lower on Mitchell. Okay, yeah. And it's just yeah. because, like, the fan base is crazy on him, and <laughs> I, I like it. I really, really like Mitchell. I think it's the guy that you love to have on your team, and he's great to root for. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that, like, how often does a six-one rookie point guard have an impact in year one? 
Like That's true. He played four years. You know, I, I think he should be more ready than some of these other guys. And actually, when I went through and looked at some of the on-off for guys he was compared to the other day, it was more promising than I thought. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, I just don't – I do really like Mitchell as a player in general. But I think for this team and just some of the expectations people have in year one seem like a lot to me. Okay. A little higher. I feel that for sure. For sure. And then one guy who you already are kind of high that you expect like another level. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's kind of hard. Yeah. I, this is going to be like a really low key one. And he had a horrible summer league that makes me, that made me kind of jump off this train a little bit, I guess, but I really like Robert Woodard. Okay. Um, like he probably isn't going to have an impact at all this year either, but it's not like he has an expectation to necessarily. Yeah. Um, he showed off like crazy in the bubble in the G league bubble. Um, so I, I just think that there's nobody on this team. I guess now there's Harkless, but like rim protection from the four is something I would just love. And I think that Woodard could provide that and just, you know, a, a really good NBA ready body and some good lateral quickness at his uh, size as well. Like, I just still believe there's an NBA player in Woodard and it seems like most of the fan base is and is really what it comes down to. It's not like I'm crazy high on him, but I, I yeah. think that like at some point in his career, he's, you know, the eighth guy on a team. I mean, that's and, still and pretty a lot of a lot of people are ready to kind of cut ties, which oh, man. no, I mean, like his summer league was horrible, genuinely <laughs> horrible. So, OK, he has a lot of work to do to kind of rebuild that. You just still have some more stock on it, which that's exactly what I was asking. So that's pretty cool. Hopefully we do see a little bit of improvement from him, though, coming this season. But um, as far as the team itself, you know, I mean, I feel like they didn't really we gave him a C or, you know, kind of for the offseason. I kind of feel like they were kind of a C of a team. I mean. I didn't ever look at the Kings last year as like horrible in the sense of like, I just never looked at them like, okay, you just have objectively seven teams that are better. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't make the Kings trash, you know, but they just, they were there. Um, With that being said, I mean, not improving that much other than that outside of hopefully, you know, tremendous internal development. When you look at guys like Fox, like Halliburton, um, whatever Mitchell gives you uh, kind of, where do you think Sacramento's going to be? Are they kind of poised to hang around and, you know, possibly kind of leap for that playing spot? Maybe you're on a ha- honest hat on a team like, I don't know, uh, any of the team that made the playoffs to the play in last year, <laughs> repeating the process? Or do you think it's going to be yet another season kind of in purgatory, you know, where you are, you know, looking, you know, doing great in-depth draft podcasts really early on, like, guys like a fall to 9 or 10? Yeah. I mean, I sadly think it's more likely to be the latter. Um, I think, I think they rub shoulders with the Grizzlies, the Spurs, the Pelicans, the Timberwolves, but all those teams are fighting for the nine, 10 spot. True. And I would tend to bet on some of the more talented rosters. And the other aspect is even if they make it this year, those other teams like Memphis is clearly future focused. Like I think taking Zaire Williams being willing to take on Jarrett Culver. um, I think they like, they could not make the playoffs and still have a successful season mm-hmm. with some internal growth, you know, growth from Morant. I think a healthy year of Jaron Jackson would be big yeah. and the Kings could do that if they had a really good record and still somehow, you know, they made it to 40 wins yeah. and they still somehow didn't make the playoffs. Sure, success, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, new Orleans is notably more talented, um, especially at the top, right. Minnesota, I think is somewhat interesting, even though they have this complicated situation going on, but like, Cat Ant and D'Lo hardly played together last year. Yeah. Um, so could be interesting. And mm-hmm. and Finch seems to have a lot of supporters and, and promise behind him. So, and the other aspect is, I mean, San Antonio got a lot worse, I, I think, or at least maybe not a lot, but I think like losing to Rosen's a big deal. And maybe they get a jump from like Kelvin Johnson's Olympic uh, experience or something like that. But I'm never going to bet on Luke Wall and over Greg Popovich. No, it's not a wise um, proposition. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I think that they're doing the same thing they are they were last year, like fighting for that ten spot until the last game of the season. Yikes, man! That that yeah. just sounds painful. I'm sorry. I hate even bringing that up now, but I I just had to ask. Okay, well, <laughs> unless there's a Simmons thing, like there has to be. They have to. I do think they have to do something big. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, maybe it's Simmons, maybe Siaka, maybe Miles Turner is enough. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Like what it is that gets them there? No, I'm with you on that for sure. Um, I guess with on that note, kind of looking at the over under, um, what I saw was 36.5. Uh, where do you kind of have the Kings placing? Like, should we pound the over? It doesn't sound like we probably should. <laughs> um, where are you on that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the guys that do this obviously are really good at it because that feels like a really solid number. Mm-hmm. 
I would. Uh, I could say 3646 type thing. Yeah, I might. I might go over, I guess, but it's not one that I'm really betting on either way. Okay. Like, I think if it's it happens, close enough. It happens. Yeah, I mean, like, I think the, like I, I was saying earlier, I think if they got to 40 wins, the fan base would be pretty happy. So I guess okay. if I had to bet one way, I would bet against it, but that's just because that's probably usually the safe answer when it comes yeah. to the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> so, oh, man, historically speaking, yeah, I feel you. Yikes, man. I'm really, I'm, I'm hoping. Uh, Brendan, that you you have a much stronger year, you know, for Kings fans in general. I know we have Hoopball Kings. Um, I know Jill Age, and, and she's pretty like a, just another member. Jill is of, awesome. Yeah. yeah, just another member, just a devout Kings fan base that like I can admire from afar. You know, I feel kind of bad as a Lakers fan, just like looking at them just so in depth and passionate and knowledgeable. Like it's not just you know running to wild. Like, I, I actually, I'm not gonna lie, as a fan. I, I indulge in a little bit of fan hysteria, you know, like, oh, he could be the next this guy. Like, it's funny to me. But, like, you have a fan base that just wants a team that reflects it in terms of just passionate, open, entertaining, talented team. And, I mean, last couple of years, it's been a place with dysfunction and injuries and just general malaise. So, I just feel bad. Yeah. But who knows? I mean, it, it's got to stop at some point, right? Like, the stigma changes really quickly. Like, I feel, um, yep. Yep. Yeah. Phoenix so. went from just the joke of jokes, you know, to look at the now, you know, in the span of what, two and a half years? Yeah, I, mean, I remember writing mm-hmm. something right after the Jaeger year. I did like a collab with a Phoenix cover and talking about how um, just comparing the, the Pacific uh, division teams. And it was like, oh, well, Sacramento's just one step ahead of the Suns. Like they have their identity in place of this mm-hmm. high pace. And the Suns are just trying to figure that out still. And oh, my God, if they didn't get leapfrogged eight times over. Jeez, yeah, I know it's crazy, and it's just another sign of just how quickly in the NBA things can change. I mean, look at Philadelphia now, Ben Simmons. Y'all get Ben Simmons, and who knows what happens? Yeah, that's definitely true. We're, we're just gonna hope out for that man, um, and and see what happens. I'm definitely excited for the year, and like I said, you know, everyone starts zero zero, so we'll kind of see where it goes. But um, before I let you go, Brendan, I want to thank you again. I'm saying way too fast, I said Brendan, but I'm just talking too fast here. I thank you for talking about the Kings with me. I gotta get what I always ask my first time guests. Um. Who are your top five kind of favorite players? I call it the Hoop Vibe Squad. Um, it all started from a conversation I had with a buddy. I had my, for the longest time, my phone screen had five players. It was Latrell Sprewell, Monte Ellis, Michael Beasley, um, Terry Rozier, and Russell Westbrook. And wow, Rozier is the outlier there for yeah, sure. Yeah. And so, I like it. <laughs> thank you. And my friend was like, so who are these? I'm like, oh, just my five favorite players. Like, your five favorite players? And he realized that, yes, well, I do have like, you know, a serious analysis type look. I like guys that don't really care and just going to do what they're going to do on the floor, you know, and they're not generally liked and they do probably give as many losses as wins. But at the end of the day, they're going to stay to their identity as crazy as it is. And that's my five. And that really sparked an idea of me, like ask people, because you really get interesting answers. Some are based off just philosophy, some based off like favorite memories of players. So I, especially as a Kings fan, and maybe more of a nuance there. Um, I'm really interested to hear your hoop vibe squad, man. So I actually only became a Kings fan because I moved to the area like three years ago. Oh, wow. Before that, I like could care less about the Kings, to be honest. Um, (laughs) I feel like that more, but okay. Yeah. We're going to get accepted so quick or be accepting of it. I grew up in the Bay Area, so Um, a lot of it was Warriors, right? Of course, yeah. Um, Can't tell you how much I remember my dad screaming at the TV when the Warriors were just horrible forever. (laughs) Um, But that's going to make Jason Richardson one of them. Ooh, I like Jay Rich. Love some okay. Jay Rich. And All that's right. definitely my dad's influence. Monte was a great pick by you, by the way. Monte's an awesome Thank pick. you. He had it all, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll never get over his moped accident Yo! story. It's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> um, Insane. So, but the team that I like fell in love with, I mean, the We Believe Warriors are what made me like first fall in love with basketball, I guess. Um, but I was like fairly young still. Yeah. Um, so I might come back and throw one of those guys in there. Cause I saw your question here, but I forgot to actually lay out the guys. The oh, most yeah. obvious one is Rajon Rondo actually. Okay. I Which like is that. funny because like Kings fans absolutely hate him <laughs> because his Kings tenure sucked. I was about but to say, yeah, good times, right? <laughs> my, my first team, I guess like my, my dad was a Warriors fan, like I said. My mom, uh, they, they've been like split as long as I can remember. My mom was uh, dating a Lakers fan at the time when I was like trying to pick my team. 
Wow. And I didn't really want to pick the Warriors, I admit, because they were just so bad all the time. Like, I watched my dad go through it. Yeah. I'm like, man, do I really want to commit to that? Um, and I remember watching the draft in 08 okay. and saw the trades that went down. They, they got Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett. I was like, all right, that's my team. There it so, is. You know, I hate to admit it, but I jumped on the bandwagon. Um, and Rondo was the guy I fell for the most, surprisingly. Wow. Um, just like doing all the nitty gritty things like I still will like pull out the fake behind the back at the 24, like the little fake show layup into like a reverse pivot. Like I just fell in love with Rondo for some reason. Um, so who do I have? I have Rondo. You have Rondo. Yeah. Jay rich. Jay rich. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have to go with Steph Curry because like still being around the Bay area when that was happening was mm-hmm. just ridiculous. Like I, I've never seen anything like that unanimous MVP year. It, it was just absolutely insane to see that from Curry. Wow. Um, so I got to throw him in there. I got to do Isaiah Thomas. Okay. Which would be uh, a which one? pick along Kings fans. Okay. No, it's got to be Boston. Okay. Be okay. The fourth quarter. That was the most phenomenal stuff I've ever seen in my life. Like there's plenty <laughs> of guys. And I talk about this being the difference between, and sorry if I'm taking too long. On no, this. dude, please, please. I'm enjoying this. I talk about this being the difference between like IT and, and Kyrie the year after mm-hmm. was that every time I was like, how is Isaiah Thomas doing this? Like, what? this doesn't make sense. And then Kyrie, I was just like, wow, this guy's so good. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. But IT was genuinely mind blowing. Like, I didn't understand how this I guy did. was doing this. His, what, 50 plus in that overtime game against the Wizards, the day after his sister passed. Like, yeah. I, that is like some of the emotional, ba- most emotional basketball I've ever watched in my life. Yeah. Um, so Isaiah Thomas got to make the list. Okay, so I, I got like Thomas, that. Curry, Rondo, and Jay Rich. Jay Rich got one more. Well, I mean, you could make somebody came. One of my friends did three um, all live squads, which was insane to me. But <laughs> shout, shout out to Garrett. But anyway, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you got those. Okay. Um, man, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to message you later and be like, oh, man, I totally forgot someone. <laughs> I think it's going to be Baron Davis, though. Because yeah. like, I, I got to shout out the We Believe squad somehow here. Yeah. I mean, you got Jay Rich and you got like the heart and soul now if you got Baron. Yeah, yeah, okay. and that dunk on that dunk on Karolinko, yo, probably my favorite highlight from when I was little. The shirt like, lift ever, was one of the yeah, most yeah. unintentional, like wow moves. I've yeah, ever I'm seen. like, why'd you team up? Why'd you team up? Come on, come on, <laughs> for real. It, yeah, and then the next day on ESPN, I remember watching, and it was uh, five out of the top ten were different angles of that Baron Davis dunk. Wow, which I thought was hilarious. That's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. BD gave me one of my favorite highlights when I was little, so I'll give him the nod there. Okay, I mean, listen, with that five, you got five talented guards. So it's Jay Rich. We got um, Monte Ellis, right? No, so Jay Rich, Curry, Rondo. I put Monte Ellis into myself. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> we got fine. Curry. We got Rondo. We'll make Monte Ellis honorary six man. Yeah, there that's fine with me. That's fine with me. Um, Jay Rich, Curry, Rondo. We have Baron Davis, and then Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas. Wow, I did pick all guards, which you is did. lame of me because, no. like, <laughs> oh, I'm totally a defense guy. Like, I wanted to put KG, yeah, but I didn't. But I yeah. find that so interesting. Like I said, you know, you talk to someone, I wouldn't have thought those are your five. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's kind of cool to me, though. But I okay. wouldn't have thought those were my five either. Actually, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Like, I'll say, I, I've been, I just made my my player in 2K. Okay, I'm totally the guy that just. I don't care about scoring. Give me a huge center and I'll play defense the whole time. Wow. Okay. Which see. is polar opposite of all the guys I just said. Yeah. Know? Yeah. No, that's true. But, see, just like my picking players, like for me, and I don't even play this on the court. I used to like high school is my thing, but like now it's oh, run to the corner. You know, I'll shoot the three. I'll play good defense. You know, left hand layup, spin move. I got you. There you go. But like, in my video game and like whatever, nah, man, I'll give me the rock. <laughs> like, <laughs> we yeah. ain't going down with this team, just yeah. like my guys. So I'm just like, man, whoever I play with is not going to pass this in to me anyways. True. I'm just going to just play defense because nobody else does. So See, it, it, it totally makes sense that you're a Kings fan, man, over now because you're a total realist. I mean, even when you play, you, just, <laughs> you, you understand what's happening. It is what it is. Yeah, I, I have. I try. Yeah. Hey, if man. you're too realistic with the team, it's it's pretty rough. So. Kind of depressing, though. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you're yeah. an optimistic realist. There we go. Yeah, there we go. That's there we what go. I try for. Yeah. And everybody keeps telling me I'll break at some point. You know, all the other guys I write with have been doing it for like two decades. So oh, they're like, man. oh, you'll have a breaking point. And I'm like, no, no, no. Listen, watch them turn down Ben Simmons and Davion Mitchell was a sticking point. And then he doesn't turn to Kyle Lowry. And I think that's what you know, you know, the one that they did get me, but I eventually like talked myself into recovering from was, Walt, was Walton. Mistaken. Really? When, when that tweet came out, I was like, oh my God. 
have to be kidding me because yeah. I thought the beginning of Walton was the same thing as you um, mm-hmm. that, you know, they don't want to, they were still paying Jaeger the yeah. first year that not uh, last year, but the, the year, year before. before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's um, been gone like four years, five years now. Yeah. So um, I was like, all right, well, they want one year of not paying two coaches. Like I get that, you know, the finances were, were sketchy because of COVID mm-hmm. like most teams, they were one of the only teams in the league. I think by the end of the year, the only team in the league without a Jersey sponsor, a little wow. less money there too. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, that's got to be what it is. You know, McNair wasn't allowed to get his guy yet. And I'm like, man, this is what you're going to tell yourself to. <laughs> this is what you're going to tell your so, guy to. I thought that's what broke me, but I, I recovered. I recovered. It's just a couple of days. Okay. There you go. <laughs> I, I mean, it took a minute, some grief. I, yeah, I feel that. I feel like, okay. So I got to just briefly run. So as a Lakers fan, I started being a Lakers fan when I was young and it was really just like mad young. This was like six or seven year old. And I was watching, um, I didn't know what game I was watching. It turned out I was watching the Lakers lose to the Pistons in the finals. Um, mm. Yeah, but I left the colors, and that's when I picked my team. And it, <laughs> that was literally it. I was like, my pops was like, oh, is it Kobe and Shaq? And I was like, mm, nah, just kind of like the purple and yellow. Kind of cool to me. It's and a I likely picked- excuse to pick the best team in the league. I don't know. <laughs> that's what, trust me, I think to this day he still thinks so, right? But, like, how else do you explain me picking the Lakers right when we go from that and we have to go through Chris Mim and and um brand what was it um not even smush parker not even kwame brown but like brian cook and guys like that like i remember watching that christmas game i didn't even know Shaq like that i knew Shaq was good and i hated him like just through the tv you know like yes we need to win and it felt like it was gonna happen and chris made a hook shot and i was like yes and i don't even know where that guy ended up like I, i don't know where the guy ended up two years after the fact and i was watching this team so i feel like you know the bumps and bruises only makes the the actual success sweeter but i mean i guess it is easier for the lakers sometimes than other teams to get there so <laughs> i feel you on that but um brendan i just want to say thank you man for coming on grace me with your time this has been a really really fun conversation uh tell the people where they can find you and and your great king's coverage yeah i appreciate it corbin anytime man i, I had a really good time doing this and Thanks, definitely man. glad to do it again I'll, I'll have you on uh on mine here as well and yeah that's uh king's pulse podcast and then uh, writing is at kingsherald.com and anything on Twitter is at Brendan Nunes NBA. But yeah, if for some reason you're interested in the Sacramento Kings <laughs> and you don't live in the area, like I don't know what's wrong with you. Maybe you're an international guy and they had a lot of international people. That's about the only reason I've seen before. Um, <laughs> so yeah, for whatever reason, that's that's where you can find me. But again, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Absolutely. This is a load of fun. Listen, y'all, definitely check him out. Brendan Nunes, NBA. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Corbin NBA. Uh, Hoopball, Twitter at Hoopball Tweets, online, hoop-ball.com. It's been a ton of fun. We'll have a lot more off-season content coming. Uh, and it's not going to be off-season for, like, literally that much longer. So definitely stay with us here. But uh, for Brendan, for myself, we are Frosty. Y'all stay frosty, and I'll talk to y'all real soon. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.